If you were with us last Sunday, you may remember that we talked about Jesus taking his disciples to kind of a remote place called the region of Caesarea Philippi to spend time with them, to draw close to them, to build their faith. And one of the things that took place was Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter shared the answer that you are the Christ, the Messiah. And we focused on that time that Jesus spent with his disciples drawing close. And we encouraged each one of us during these difficult times, even as spoken already, that we can draw closer to him. Take these times when we have this opportunity forced upon us in some cases to spend time with him. He knew difficult times were coming for the disciples and he wanted to encourage them. As we're in difficult times, he will encourage each one of us. Today we're going to be looking at the beginning of a road trip. Next week we will be focusing on what we call Palm Sunday, sometimes called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then on Good Friday we will also be sharing. And we're going to be sharing on Good Friday about the cup. You may remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was in such agony that it says that he was sweating like great, great, great drops of blood. He cried out to the Father, Father, if it be possible, please remove this cup from me. We're going to talk about that cup and what was causing such torment in the heart of Jesus. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we'll be celebrating with the disciples and the church the resurrection of Jesus. So that's to come. This morning, the title of my message is Taking It on the Road. Taking It on the Road. My wife and I, Cindy, we, we love to do road trips. A lot of people like to fly to locations. We like to drive. We know it's slower, but we like to drive. We like to see the country that we're in. It's really restful and peaceful for us. We actually are in a car for hours at a time, and we actually have conversation. We talk. But on road trips, there is a slight difference between Cindy's perspective and my perspective at times. When we get in the car and we head the car whatever direction we're going... Cindy is filled with, anx- an- with, with anxiousness, really, to learn more about the places we're going. She'll get out her phone and, and she'll be Googling the next town or the next community to find out the history of that town, the history of that community. And if it's really something intriguing, she's always ready to stop and take a look. Now, on the other side, sitting behind the driving of the steering wheel is Mike. And sometimes when I get in the car, and, and maybe there's a man or two that can relate to this. I get in the car and something flips in me. This switch goes on to conquer the trip. I know where we're headed and when I get behind the wheel, I just want to get there. No bathroom stops, no snack stops, just go. And I have to continually be aware of that so that we don't miss some of what we're looking for and what we're going to see. Cindy kind of reminds me that we don't have to conquer this trip. Well, Jesus is about to embark on a long road trip. He's going to take his ministry on the road. And he's going to be traveling from Caesarea Philippi, or the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he's going to be traveling all the way to Jerusalem. And this trip is about 105 miles by foot through some really crazy terrain. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 Jesus sounds a little bit like me when I get in the car and I want to conquer the trip. It says this about him. Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, or for the days drew near for him to be crucified and fulfill his mission, 
It says, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Resolutely. He set out purposefully. He set out with determination and He set out in an unwavering way to go to Jerusalem. But we're going to see this 105-mile trip wasn't just a trip that Jesus was going to conquer, even though He was very resolute in heading to Jerusalem. We're going to discover that along the way, He ministered and ministered and ministered. He taught His disciples and He taught the crowds. He ministered to people in the areas of healing, restoring their sight. He ministered to the the Pharisees who would come with questions trying to stump Him and trying to point out that He wasn't really the Messiah. He did all of these things along the way. And I want to encourage you, if you happen to have a pencil, I'd encourage you to write down these chapters. In the book of Luke, starting in chapter 9, verse 51, and going all the way through Luke chapter 19, verse 29, Luke gives the most a complete outline of what took place on this road trip. It's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, and we're actually going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark primarily. If you have your Bibles out, you could be opening them to Mark chapter 10. But in the Gospel of Luke, you'll see an amazing number of things that you're probably familiar with from your Bible knowledge that took place during this road trip. So even though Jesus was resolute and He was determined and He was unwavering in His desire to go and fulfill the Father's command to go to the cross, He always took time to minister along the way. You'll see if you look in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see some things that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. You'll see the segment of Scripture where He sends out the 70 to go out and minister. You'll see where He talks about the story of the Good Samaritan. You'll see where he talks about healing on the Sabbath when he got himself in trouble with the Pharisees once again. You're going to hear him talk about some different parables, some different stories within a story. You'll see the parable of the lost sheep. You'll see the parable of the lost coin. You'll even see the parable of the prodigal son all taking place on this trip. Even though he was resolute and determined to get to Jerusalem, he was ministering all the way. You're going to see the story of when he healed the ten lepers. You're going to see the story where he teaches about the second coming, that he's coming back. You're going to see the story of the rich young ruler. You're going to see the story of Zacchaeus who climbs up in that sycamore tree. You'll see all of this and more, and all of this took place on this trip that he was taking. Now, I want to kind of start with a a premise that sometimes there is a story within a story. We're going to be looking at primarily one little event and one man by the name of Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. And we're going to look what Jesus did in his life, but I want us to see maybe that there is a story within the story for each one of us. That we can see that there is a message for us in the events of that story. I believe we'll find that to be true in the story of Bartimaeus. As Jesus is coming to Jericho along this trip, he, we hear about the crowds joining him along the way. And we're going to be introduced to Bartimaeus, one man amongst the crowds, sitting along the roadside, a blind beggar. And I believe when we look at the story, we're going to see beyond Bartimaeus, and we are going to see the heart of God that Jesus wants to meet all of us. 
in our area of need. That He is always willing and ready to minister to us in our needs. That He wants to see the destiny that He has planned for us to be fulfilled and carried out in this story about Bartimaeus. I believe we'll see the, the desire of God to transform each one of our lives by His power. So let's set the story a little bit more. Jesus is on a way. I'm going to put up a map that I hope you can see online. And it's a map that shows us kind of where Jesus traveled. Actually, the starting point on the map is Capernaum on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And actually, if this map would extend further, about 20 miles north into the wilderness is where Jesus and the disciples were when he went into the region of Caesarea Philippi and where the transfiguration of Jesus took place with Peter and James and John there as witnesses. And as you look at this map, you'll see that he started to head a little bit to the east into Samaria. And Samaria is a place where the Jews typically did not travel through. Even though it might have been a shorter route, they went along the Jordan River over here primarily. And in this story, as you read about it, you'll see when Jesus heads into Samaria, they get to a point where Jesus has sent the 70 disciples ahead and they discover and realize the Samaritans are not going to receive Jesus. So it's at this point, the story in the Scripture says, that they went over to Judea on the other side or across the Jordan. On the map, it's called Perea. In the Scripture, it refers to it as Judea on the other side of the Jordan. And then they traveled up along the Jordan River, and eventually they crossed the Jordan and come back to the east to the city of Jericho. And that's where our story is going to take place today. And we'll see as they continue on next week, we'll be talking about the trip, but they go from Jericho to Bethany, where Mary and Martha live and where Jesus is going to stay. A very difficult part of the trip as you're walking because in that trip from Jericho up to Jerusalem, there's a change in elevation of over 3,000 feet. And eventually he will enter into Jerusalem from Bethany on that triumphal entry. So I, I like to personally, when I study the Gospels especially, I like to have a map sitting right beside my Bible so I can see where I'm at. The geography of it helps me to understand and relate to the story. So as he approaches Jericho, and archaeology has found that Jericho was a unique city in the sense that it was like there was two, two parts to it, a lower Jericho and an upper Jericho. And sometimes when you look at the different uh, versions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see entering or exiting Jericho. And what we really can do is explain that by saying lower Jericho, exiting, entering to Jericho, the upper Jericho just so you see and understand why there might look like a contradiction, which there isn't in the Scriptures. And when we go into Jericho, we meet Bartimaeus. I'm going to read first just a section of Scripture, and actually what I'm doing here is I'm compiling some of the verses from the Gospel of Matthew and Luke and primarily reading from Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you'll and follow along with me in Mark, you may see something that you don't have there, but if you looked in Matthew and Luke, you would see where I pulled these scriptures together to give us a little bit more of a complete picture. So reading in the Gospels, 
starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd was with him. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. You can imagine, he's blind, and he's hearing all this commotion. And it says, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched his eyes. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and he began following Jesus on the road, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Look at Bartimaeus' situation for a moment. He's blind because of his circumstances. He can't do anything else. It says he's a blind beggar sitting along the side of the road and this huge crowd is coming. And obviously he, he's blind so he can't see, but there's people everywhere. For him to even move would be a challenge and difficult. And he's begging. In his life circumstance, he was a beggar because of the circumstances of his life. He knew that to survive, he had to be out there and beg every day. He had to rely on others to help him. He also realized and understood there was nothing he could do in his own strength to change his situation. Nothing. There was nothing he could do about his blindness. Nothing he could do about his state or situation in life. Sometimes I'm reminded when I look at a story like this of maybe the story within the story that humankind in a way is a lot like Bartimaeus. Because of the sin and the consequences of sin around us, people live in darkness. Before Jesus is a part of your life, you're trapped. There's nothing you can do. You're helpless in your own strength, your own talents, your own gifts, your own abilities. There's nothing you can do to truly change your heart and your life. Now, some of, some of you are probably thinking, oh, I can change a lot about my life. And I would give you the fact that because of the strength of our will, we can make changes in our life. We can make changes that look better from the outside for sure. We can make some changes that seem to make our life go more smoothly. But as far as truly changing our heart and our destiny, it can't come from us. There's nothing we could do about it. We are powerless to be transformed on the inside. Powerless to transform our hearts and our lives. Truly, the unsaved person, the person who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is way more like Bartimaeus than we might like to think or admit. So there sits Bartimaeus. And he inquires of the people. He asks, what's going on? 
And they tell him there's this crowd, tells him there's this big crowd coming, and Jesus of Nazareth is in this crowd, and he begins to immediately cry out. And it's significant what he is crying out, because whether he understood it or not, he is declaring a truth that we see in Scripture. He is saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that phrase, Jesus, Son of David, is a messianic phrase. It's declaring the Messiah. As a matter of fact, we see in Scripture there was a time when the Pharisees were trying to, to stump Jesus. Jesus turns it on them and they said, who do they say the Messiah is the Son of? And the Pharisees, because they know the Scripture in the Old Testament, they knew what the prophets had said, they answered, He is the Son of David. So when Bartimaeus is crying out, he is declaring, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy upon me. He is crying out for God's mercy, knowing that God is a merciful God. Hearing it was Jesus, he didn't hesitate. Immediately he cries out. And think about him. Think about him sitting there. His world has been a world of darkness. He's been blind. His world has been a world of begging to survive. He's probably heard stories of Jesus. Jesus has made quite a reputation for himself in recent history in ministering around the area of Galilee. He's probably heard about Jesus doing miracles in the region. He probably has even heard stories of 5,000 people gathered and Jesus feeding with a few fish and loaves. He's probably heard stories of demons being cast out. He has probably actually even heard stories of blind men being given their sight back by this man Jesus, the Nazarene. He understood, I believe, that this is his chance. If I can only meet him, even as I'm hearing stories about what Jesus has done elsewhere, if I could only meet this man, Jesus of Nazareth, my life might be changed. I believe he understood completely that right now was a chance of a lifetime. This was it. Right now, a chance of a lifetime. And I believe the reality is for every single one of us, there is a right now that is our chance of a lifetime. When the Holy Spirit is wooing us, drawing us to God, giving us an opportunity, even even providing the grace for us to accept the gift that He's offering us at that moment in time. It's the chance of a lifetime. It's no wonder He started yelling out to the, in the midst of this crowd, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't want to miss it. He didn't want to let it go by. If he missed this opportunity, it might be too late forever. And then in the crowd, what does he hear? Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. And boy, that's polite. They were sternly telling him to be quiet. Why would anybody do or say anything to prevent somebody from going to Jesus? And yet it happens all the time. It still happens today. You're not going to go to this Jesus guy, are you? 
He's nothing but a crutch for very weak people. You're not going to become one of them, are you? Don't be stupid. You're smarter than that. Here they're just telling him, Bartimaeus, be quiet. What's the message that he's probably hearing? Bartimaeus, you're a loser. You're worthless. You're not good enough. You're nothing but a blind beggar. You don't deserve to even talk to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. The lies that we hear oftentimes is, yeah, he may have did it for you, but he can't do it for me. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. We even have other people that are just like this crowd of people who are more than happy to tell us, just don't go there. You don't need Jesus. It's nothing but a fairy tale. But nothing was going to stop him. Nothing was going to stop him from going there. He was going to do whatever it took to try to get Jesus' attention. He was going to try to take advantage to the fullest of this moment in time where Jesus is walking by. And for us, wherever we're at, even right now this morning, there's a moment in time where the Holy Spirit might be drawing our hearts. As Brian said during worship, there may be some of you listening and watching this and you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe right now is that now moment for you. And there will be lies and thoughts and voices in your mind telling you, no, 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 don't get carried away. We need to be like Bartimaeus and make sure that nothing is going to stop us from going to Jesus. Bartimaeus believed something. He believed that Jesus possessed the ability, the power, the authority to give him back his sight. He believed that Jesus could truly transform his life from a blind beggar to a man with sight who could fulfill his destiny was out there for him. And as they kept telling him to be quiet, he just kept yelling over and over, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. It didn't matter what the crowd was saying. It didn't matter what the people were saying. He just kept declaring, you are the Messiah. Have mercy upon me, a sinner who is blind. And then we see the response of Jesus. And if you like a story and you are able to insert yourself into a story, I would encourage you right now, try to imagine what was going on in the heart and mind of Bartimaeus right now. The crowd of people is all around him. They're telling him to be quiet, to just be silent. And all of a sudden, the crowd stops moving. And he can sense it. Jesus has stopped. And he's standing there. And whether he could hear the Savior say these words or not, or he had to wait for the crowd, as we see in the Scripture, I can't imagine what was going through his heart. There must have been an excitement and an anticipation, an expectation that his now moment had come. And Jesus was going to meet him. And Jesus stands there and he says to the people, tell him to come here. And the people turn to him and say, He's called you. He's saying, come to Him. Take courage. Stand up. He is calling for you. Now, I don't want to make a bigger deal out of this than it might be, but notice the response. 
Jesus is calling. The Holy Spirit may be wooing you. Take courage and stand up. Do something. Respond to the Master's calling on your life right now. He is calling for you. Jesus is always ready and willing to recognize us and to meet our needs. He promises in Scripture that He is always there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He says, I will provide all of your needs. He's always waiting and willing for us. Jesus is ready always to recognize us. Jesus is always reaching out to us by His Holy Spirit way before we're ready to reach out to Him. He's always waiting. He's always ready. We just need to cry out and call out to Him just as Bartimaeus did. And Jesus' response, I believe, because we see it in one of the Gospels, He was moved by compassion. Luke says, by compassion. Motivated by the love of God, the very character that He has. He is a Father, He is God, He is love. And He's moved by the compassion upon Bartimaeus. This man sitting amongst the crowd, sitting on his cloak, hoping that someone will throw some coins on that cloak for him as he's begging so that he might survive. He was desperate. And in desperation and by faith, he was crying out. He was desperate. There is something about us as human beings when we're desperate. When things get really bad, we hear about people crying out to God who don't know God. Because they're desperate. Most of us, many of us, have been in that place of desperation. And we cry out to God in that moment. We maybe find ourselves in a place where we have no hope. There's no cure or solution to the problem that we find ourselves in. We're desperate. There's nowhere to turn. There's nothing we can do in our own strength. Desperation sets in. You might have even heard, like Bartimaeus might have, that Jesus set other people free. Free from the same things that you might be wrestling with, the same situation, the same circumstance. You've heard about it, but are you good enough? Are you worthy? Can He do it for you? You may have even met and seen and talked to people who have experienced a transformation in their lives, and all of a sudden there is a hope in their life, there is a peace in their life. There is a transformation that's taken place in their life. You've seen it. You've witnessed it. But somehow, we believe the lies that it couldn't happen to us. The people were telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. Bartimaeus said, no way. This is my chance. This is my opportunity. This is my now moment. For some of us that are watching this and listening to this, this may be your chance. This may be your now moment. Jesus has a way to change our lives, to transform our lives when we surrender ourselves to Him, cry out to Him, give our lives to Him, accept Him for who He is and what He's done. This may be that moment. I really truly believe that Jesus is reaching out to people right now and He's just waiting for us to respond to respond to the tugging in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Look at Bartimaeus' response. I love this. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. 
You know, one of the things that I do oftentimes when I'm reading the Scriptures, I come across something, I go, why is that in there? Now think about it. This is the Word of God. And Mark has decided by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that throwing aside his cloak is important enough to be put in the Scriptures. It's hard for me to believe that it's not significant in some way. Now, there are some theologians and some historians who explain it this way. The cloak that a beggar would wear was unique to the beggars, like an oversized cloak, if you would. It was a cloak that they could wear, but when they were going to find their location of where they were going to beg, they could put it on the ground and they could sit on that cloak. And the cloak could be still spread before them, so any coins that would be tossed to them by passerbys would land on that cloak and not roll away. And they used it to collect the money. And according to those that believe this and think this way, they would say that that beggar's cloak becomes a symbol of their life. I'm a beggar. I'm blind. That's all I am. Now, I don't know if that's all true or not. But one thing I do, is, do know that is true, he jumped up and he went to Jesus. He went to the only one who could change his situation. And if, in fact throwing aside of that cloak is significant for the reasons I, might, I just suggested some historians think and teach. By him standing up and throwing aside his cloak would be throwing off that old identity by faith, knowing that I'm not going to need that cloak anymore. It might be a blind person today who walks with a cane. He's going to receive ministry for his blindness and he throws aside the cane because he knows he's not going to need it anymore. A declaration of faith. Confidence in Jesus. And it tells us he came to him. And when he gets to Jesus, he and Jesus have this very, very brief conversation. What does Jesus say to him? What do you want me to do for you? Wow. Take a moment. Once again, insert yourself in the story. And you're standing there before Jesus of Nazareth. And the first words out of his mouth to you are, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? The Messiah, Jesus, the living Son of God, says, what do you want? Some of us might say, God, I need you to deliver me from the addictions in my life. Some of us might say, God, I need you to deliver me from the lusts in my life. Some of us might say, God, I need you to heal my body. I'm physically ill or sick. Some of us might just say, God, lift this spirit of oppression and depression from me and fill me with hope, fill me with joy, fill me with peace. Oh, there's so many things. And Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only one who can meet our needs in so many situations in our life. Maybe some of us are listening to this this morning and we have broken relationships and we hear that question, what do you want? God, 
help me to heal this broken relationship with this person, this family member. He will give you the grace to heal that relationship. Some of us may still be in that situation we've talked about already. That you know you're a sinner and your life is filled with sin and you are suffering from the consequences of that sin and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe our answer to that question would be, Lord, I need to know You as my personal Lord and Savior. I need You. That's what I need. That's what I want. The list could go on and on. I need a new life. I need to be transformed. I need to be changed. Bartimaeus answers the question this way. Right to the point. And that's what I encourage us. Lord, I want to regain my sight. Lord, he is acknowledging who Jesus is. I want to regain my sight. I want my life to be changed forever. I want to see again. I don't want to have to sit and beg for people to throw coins my way for me to survive. I want you to give me my sight back that I can be productive, that I can fulfill the destiny and calling in my life. That's what I want, Lord. I want to receive my sight. Imagine yourself standing before Jesus when he asked you that question. I encourage you to be bold but humble, knowing that there are things that only Jesus can meet in your life and ask him. Tell him what it is that you would like. Just as Jesus showed compassion upon Bartimaeus, he will show compassion on you and me. Think of yourselves in the natural as parents when your children have a need. The Bible declares if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. You are joined heirs with Christ. He's filled with compassion and love for us. He wants us to come to Him. Not because He doesn't know what we need, but He wants us to ask, to build relationship, to demonstrate our trust, faith, and confidence in Him. And immediately, what happens? His eyesight is restored and Jesus says, Go, your faith has made you well. Go. Go. Go into the life that you now have as a seeing person. Go into your destiny, the plans and purposes that I have for your life. Now is the time to go. Once again, taking action. Go. Your faith has made you well. Now I hope you understand that it was the power of Jesus that truly gave him his sight back. But it's impossible to neglect the reality that our faith has something to do with it. Bartimaeus was declaring who Jesus was by faith that he was the son of David, that he was the Messiah. By faith. We need to recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And pray that prayer of faith. Make that request with faith that God will respond the same way to us. And it's interesting to me that the verse says go and then Jesus goes right on and 
the Gospel of Luke, and he says something different. What did he do? Immediately he regained his sight. It was just like that, and he was healed. And then it says he began following him. Some translations say following him on the way instead of on the road. And I like what may be an implication there that the early believers were called those that were followers of the way. Irregardless, it says he got up and followed him. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. He could have went anywhere and done anything, but no, he did not do that. He says he followed him. How could he do any less? How could he do any less than follow Jesus? Jesus has changed his life. Jesus has just in a moment of time changed his destiny. He's been transformed from a blind beggar sitting along the road to a man with sight and all this potential before him. He's been transformed. How could he not follow Jesus? How could he not surrender his life to Jesus completely? How could he not? When all the people saw it, something happened. They saw a transformation, yes. They saw a miracle right before their very eyes, yes. And he followed Jesus when Jesus met their need. How about us? Those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, I mean truly acknowledged our need for a Savior. How can we not surrender ourselves to Him? How can we not surrender ourselves to following Him? Oh, I don't mean go down a road and follow Him as He's walking somewhere. What I mean is following Him in obedience to His Word. Obedience to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit prompts us in our lives. How can we not? Notice when He did, the people gave praise to God. Kind of a challenging question. If I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, He has transformed my life. Is my life significantly different than it was before that people would notice it and see it and that they would recognize that something beyond Mike has changed him? Something beyond each one of us has changed us, transformed us. Well, not that we've arrived by any means. We're nowhere near perfect. There's only one perfect, and that's Jesus. But there's been a transformation take place that the people would see it. They may not praise God for it, but we can give praise and glory to God and acknowledge when people ask, what's happened to you? Well, let me tell you. I met Jesus. And He changed my life. He transformed my life. Now, I, saw, I know some of you, <clears throat> simply because of the way numbers work, there's undoubtedly some of you out there that have never accepted Jesus Christ. As Brian mentioned in our time of worship with the music, you've never accepted Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Some of you may not even understand what that means. How do I do that? It's not very complicated. Have you ever recognized the need in your life for someone to change you? 
Have you ever acknowledged the reality that you're a sinner? And there's nothing new you can do in your own strength to take care of that sin. If you have, you need to acknowledge that Jesus came as a sinless sacrifice for our sin. It's by His shed blood that our sin is washed away and our sins are forgiven. And we accept that gift of Jesus. So it's simply acknowledging your sins as a sinner, acknowledging our need for a Savior, surrendering our life to Him and receiving by faith, just as Bartimaeus did, the gift of salvation by grace through faith. And then letting Him control your life and lead you instead of trying to live your life alone by yourself. Jesus stopped to minister to the one on this road trip, even though he was resolutely headed to Jerusalem because he had an appointment with his destiny. But he never stopped ministering along the way. God's not too busy for you or me. He's always reaching out to us. We need to simply respond to him. This time I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And I want to pray as they're coming. So pray with me. If you would. Heavenly Father, I pray you would give the grace for each one of us to accept the truth that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and He came to earth to die on a cross for my sins. He offered us the gift of salvation that we must simply reach out and receive it and invite the Holy Spirit to then lead our lives as we surrender our will to His. I pray that You make these things a reality in each one of our lives. I pray that especially for those who have never truly met Jesus and along the path of their life. I ask this in Jesus' name.